0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. This is The Ziegler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziglar. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. Here we bring you the best of today's world influencers and drill down to real-life issues and how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In today's episode, we dig more into decision-making and what weakens and strengthens it. And I brought decision-making expert David Meltzer back on the show to address responses to this question. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the best, how would you rate your confidence in making important decisions and why? It was just significant. What you will get out of this is further clarity on what alters and affects your decision-making, for better and worse. We talk about decision-making in crisis, how it's harder for people-pleasers, the difficulty when there are too many choices, how long it takes to make a decision, and the idea of removing emotion from our decision-making. This is awareness we all must know about our if we want to get better. We'll start with David right after a quick shout out to today's show sponsors. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear?
1: Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Got a lot of responses and we're going to hit a lot of topics here, but I want to start off with your own journey because uh, as we were talking, I, I got the idea it hasn't been just a, a completely horizontal plane of you came out of the womb, a great decision maker, confident decision maker, and here you are today. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think about 11 years ago before I lost everything, if somebody would ask me what type of decision maker I was, I would have told you an extremely good one. You know, 9 out of 10, because I always believe that I have potential, and I, I always want to pursue my potential. Ironically, uh, if you ask me today, 11 years later, I would evaluate myself at about a 4 back then. And then uh, admittedly, here today, I can tell you that I've worked on the assumptions that I make, the processes that get me to decisions, understanding the clarity, balance, and focus, and confidence that I have in the decision, which has really elevated. Now I'm more confident in saying... And I'll say this with a caveat, I believe I'm at you know, a good nine right now because of those things, but I probably can guarantee you that 10 years from now, when you ask me the same question, I'll say, gosh, I was probably at a four or five, 10 years ago. Now I'm at a nine <laughs> right. just because I'm an optimist, but I am most importantly, really focused in on that process, the assumptions that are made into the decisions, how the conscious, subconscious and unconscious continuum help us make logical decisions with emotions and value. And so I'm very, very excited to help others with that process, at least on my learning curve of what I've learned.
0: Well, and of course we hit some of the topics that you just pulled out in our first interview together, but... Uh, but yeah, I want to read through some of these folks and I think it'll pull out some things that we probably have not gotten to. I know I've got some questions on them, so I'm just going to jump in. Um, and, and these range from, you know, people who said, uh, really low to really high. So we're going to, we're going to hit a handful of all of them. Thomas Zelensky here. He says it's a two right now. He says, I lost my job two weeks ago. I need to go to an urgent care facility, but I have no insurance, uh, usually amidst different, uh, difficult circumstances. It's hard, even though I know, you know, things will work out. And so my question on that was, you know, it's one thing when we're going about daily life, you know, things are OK. And then when we hit a crisis or survival mode and how do you do you? is that what you see? People's confidence tends to tank during that time or if they are confident, they should stay somewhat static.
1: Yeah. So to make proper decisions, we need to be in a learning Uh, focus a learning stage Uh, what happens is we have a comfort zone uh, where we easily make decisions right a comfort zone where making the decisions how to balance your bike is easy it's actually an unconscious activity because of the repetition that we've had where we want to stay is in the learning curve uh, where we have uh, we're stretching we're learning you know we we were processing everything but what happens during these anxious times you know urgent care, losing your job, getting divorced, these are all factors I hear all the time, is that it forces us out into an anxiety zone. And what happens is our goal is, if our learning zone is this big, to keep on staying in the learning zone so everything in our learning zone becomes our comfort zone. Now what used to make us anxious is now in our learning zone. Mm -hmm. And then our decisions get better and better and better as we progress. But if we get out into the anxiety zone, we lose our job, we get sick, you know, we have a death in the family. There's a variety of things that, that happen during life that if we are in the anxiety zone, watch what happens. Everything closes down and we can't make those decisions. This is could be the size of our comfort zone. In fact, that's how people have nervous breakdowns. You wonder how highly functioning, actualizing people end up not being able to get out of bed. It's because they do not get themselves out of the anxiety zone. And the way that we do that is when we're feeling anxious is we need to go back to center. We, we, okay. we need... Literally, to not try to break through or push through until we get into a place of balance and know that we're going in the right trajectory. So I call it stop, drop, and roll. When we're in the anxiety zone, when we're utilizing ego-based consciousness, it it puts our body on fire, our minds on fire, and our soul on fire. And I learned it a little kid. Man, you catch on fire, you stop, drop, and roll. So what I teach people to do is you have decisions to make when you're anxious and on fire The first thing is stop for a second, evaluate which way you should go. You drop that blood pressure, you get back to center, you breathe, and you point yourself back into the right trajectory and then roll. What happens is, unfortunately, we're in this anxiety zone and we try to accelerate through the anxiety zone. Well, that puts too much pressure on us. And pretty soon we get that too confidence level that I can't make a decision. What do I do today? What do I eat today? How do I get a job? Right? Right. And so I I really believe you know when you're on fire stop drop and roll you'll make better decisions when you're in a good mental physical and spiritual place to make those decisions.
0: Man, that's one that I I know intellectually, David, and I still catch myself not doing it, and, and it'll occur to me and go stop stop. It is not my nature to want to stop and consider, even though I know the wisdom. We well, said a couple things, and I'm gonna use two. More responses to come around to it. Jamie McClellan, he says a seven. Uh, for the most part, it's always been learn on my own or learn the hard way. Based on where I'm at in life, I gave myself a seven. I feel I can, it can, and will be higher as I continue. To grow and learn through it all uh, mason Besuck says i can 't say that i 've made I can say that i 've made ones and i 've made tens, however, the difference now is that i 'm paying more attention to my instinct as I grow older and learn more way more tens these days, and none are under five and It kind of brought up what you talked about to some aspect I guess there 's no way we can get away from maturity and, and experience in making these confident decisions. And yet we don't want somebody who's 23 right now to think, well, I can't make confident decisions because I haven't experienced enough life or matured. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how you reconcile the balance there because we know that it should get better as we go older. I guess it comes back to what you said. If we are in a learning mindset,
1: right. Okay. That both of them talked about learning, right? Okay. And yep. One rule that I live by is life is about lessons. Lessons are going to keep on coming until we learn them. Pain is the indicator if we've learned a lesson or not. We all have the capacity to forget every lesson that we've learned at any time, and we also have the capacity to remember and access any lesson. The one thing that's missing from all of us, me, you, those three other people that so far have answered, is we have to learn to ask for help the funny thing about you know our decisions is you know why not ask someone that already knows the answer and i find that the older i get the radical humility has played a huge part for example even when i lost everything all i had to do is go to one person that understood real estate and finance and refinance and and instead of learning the valuable lesson that I learned by myself, if I would have had humility, people ask me all the time, what what, what would you tell yourself when you're 18? I said, same thing I tell myself when I turned 58, radical humility, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Go ahead, drop your ego, Bozo, and go find... It's so much easier instead of answering a big decision to go find someone that has the answer and go ahead and, and, and move forward in that way. That way you're always a 10.
0: Okay. Okay, well, there's... Gosh, you hit on so many pieces that people pulled out and I'm going to try to honor some of these by using them to get to the, to get of to those topics. You know, here, here's, here's an interesting one that, uh, I was, I was surprised and made me, made me stop and think about it. Stacy Yount She says when making deci- she when, when she's making decisions for others, she feels like she's a nine or a 10, but for herself, more like a two. Now that's a big spread there. But my first thought knowing that you and I were going to talk is have you made- coach or or a player or whatever an, an influence or a leader somebody who fit that man they can they can make a game plan they can uh, they can spearhead something they can lead people and they can make decisions but then when it comes to their own life well you've got to we've, we've seen that we see people who are great on the field man off it is that what we're looking at here
1: yeah i think one of the best examples one of the smartest people that i know is lee steinberg and what i learned from lee you know person they based the movie jerry mcguire off of my mentor was it's amazing is i used to tell lee why don't you take your own advice uh, even as one of the top executive business coaches i record all of my conversations so that i can listen to it i truly believe that the advice that i give is actually through me for me so that We give great advice. Mm -hmm. We don't take our own advice. My mother is is a catalyst. She raised six kids who all went to the Ivy Leagues except for this one right here. Super successful, super happy people, happily married, kids, financially successful, all six of us. But she could not do that for herself. In the the lessons that she taught us all, the lessons she empowered us with, she never learned herself, meaning she never activated or took action on them. I think that if we took our own advice, that we would be so much better off that we Mm -hmm. don't. We don't. And coaches do it all the time. My buddy, Lee Steinberg, man, he has saved lives. He's helped so many lives. And yet he literally would, five minutes after he told someone this amazing advice, he would listen to it himself and he'd go spiral down and do something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am continually amazed at my ability to, my gosh, I get to do this with folks like you every week. I should be on the pinnacle of Mount Wisdom. And yet yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to stuff and go, Oh my gosh, how did I not engage with that better? I've got to study this stuff not just listen to it because I can walk forward and it, just like you said, and not do it myself. Well, here, here's a couple, David, Jim Smith. He says he's a five. He says, I struggled with making, I struggled with making decisions most of my life. I'm a big people pleaser and afraid of failure or disappointing someone right after it. Barb Goney, she says, I'd say a seven. Cause for me, it depends on the type of decision. I'm the worst at making decisions where there's a lot of choice. This can vary from choosing what restaurant to go to and picking a dish from a menu at a new restaurant to choosing a hotel to stay over to the holidays. Uh, this tends to get harder when others are involved. And this is where I brought it back to the same area of gym. She says, if it's just me, I'll choose something and be happy. But with others involved, I stressed about whether they will be happy with my choice, any other choice, even if it's major, such as whether to make a career change, invest on something or someone, or even speak up to defend someone else uh, at work. I have no problem with, I seem to have a strong sense of justice of direction and of purpose that guides my important decisions. So she kind of gave us this sandwich of, of yes, confident here, But then when it has to do with somebody else, just like Jim, and there's some others that will probably come to where it again gets on there kind of different than the one we just went to when it comes to other people involved, that's where they languish.
1: Yeah. People love to make other people happy. They love to give to other people. And sometimes it gets overwhelming because we don't really care about, what is for us, we care what's through us for others, inherently emotionally. And so what happens is we have this conflict that we're not good decision makers when other people are involved. Here's how I solve that problem, because I'm a huge pleaser, right? I I was the king of manifesting what everybody else wanted for me. Mm -hmm. And and that was also disturbed by just because somebody loves me doesn't mean they're giving me good advice, right? I find the experts for each thing that I'm doing. But what I do that really corrects it is that I always start with what, not the why, right? I start with what is it that I, that I want. Now, if I don't want anything, then I have to state, I don't care. It's up to you. People instead torture themselves. But what, what they don't do is I would like this and then go to why and then how, and then if someone else has a greater what and a better why and an easier how, then you can make a viable valuable decision for the group and it's really a matter that people get stuck on the why and they don't think about the what and i think in life there's too many books out there know your why you know look i will tell you what what most people 99% of the why of everything we do is to help somebody right somebody close to us we're, we're doing it for our kids we're doing it for my wife i'm doing it for my mom i want to buy a house for my mom like that's what drives us but most people don't and they're not strong on their what. And so my solution to that is know your what, understand your why and present the how, and then evaluate what's the most valuable decision out of the group and go with it.
0: Okay, well, I love this structure there. I'm going to take that into a, honestly, it's like a personality style um, of this. And I'll preface it by saying, and I, I know you'll appreciate this, David. I think so often people have, a perspective of entrepreneurs being a certain type of personality style. And what I found over the years is I understand that, uh, that it com- it feels like that those people are risk takers. They're the ones that, you know, outspoken. Those are the ones you hear about over here, are the other ones, and they're just doing good business and not loud mouthing about it like us. So I think it's a myth there. I'm going to ask the same question a little bit here. So Wesley Wiley, he says a uh, seven, but it takes me forever to make decisions. I'm a nine on the anagram and an SC on the disc profile. Decisiveness isn't natural for me. I tend to want permission from others before making a big decision. Right on that too, Travis Stevens says, uh, seven and a half to eight for important decisions, six for all others. My struggle is recognizing, uh, great over good. Many times it will be fine as the options are typically good in either case, but I do take too much time in pulling the trigger. I overanalyze and try to look at things from every perspective uh, possible, even after the decision is made. I often question if it was right. It's like I totally get that I have no control over the ball when I let it go, but that doesn't keep me from trying to steer it anyways. So I'm taking both of those to ask are there some, I mean, obviously personality style. F- you know, feeds into everything and how we do things. But as you look at the myriad of, of decision makers, people making decisions that you have in all walks of life, where do you see it falls in line with personality styles?
1: Yeah, you know, the most decisive people, the ones that are quickest, and I put this in my book, Game Time Decision Making, is they did a research uh, research on this, and they had handicappers, and they gave them the bracing the form, 17% of the time, the handicappers were right. Then they gave them more information, and each person felt more confident, 17% right. Then they gave them more data. Even more handicappers felt more confident, 17% of them were right, right. Uh, what the issue is, is confidence. We, we can gather the data and we have to check it pragmatically, right, what we think, say, and do. So there's a pragmatic value in the decision, but then we have to be able to trust our intuition. We have to say, according to the data that I've seen, I have enough data, I'm gonna make my decision based on emotion, right, energy and motion. When I feel something's wrong, like it's too good to be true, or this person doesn't seem to be telling me the truth, or then I can't rely on the data, I'm going to go ahead and make a decision according to what I feel, not the data presented in front of
0: me. Right, right. Okay. All right, that's good. Yeah, all these are so overlapping. It's so amazing. Uh, Marvin Pennick here, he says, I would say a seven at this point. I'm clear on my purpose. Uh, so, making the decision is fairly simple now, fleshing it out sometimes is a bit more challenging, but I wanted to come back to that as we talk about i mean hey it 's a Ziggler show, okay, we talk about goals if you don 't know where you 're going, how do you know if you ever got there? So, if we look at that and marvin's saying i 'm clear on my purpose, so making the decision is fairly simple. Talk to us, and I know that this is you know part in your book, but in this aspect or this format here platform, where you see decision making influenced by purpose, goals
1: yeah, so obviously we, people make decisions based on emotions for logical reasons, and so those that are most aware of the emotions that are involved uh, you know in, in classic you know is my own wife who you know will buy a dress and tell me I saved this much money and I'm whoa, well, well, well how much did you spend <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. couldn't afford couldn't afford not she, to get that dress
1: right and right. then she justifies. Why she bought the dress it could be because of the ultimate 90% off discount Which could have been twice as much of what the cost of goods were but that's regardless right or it could just be off of I needed it because I you know so warm out today But it's all emotional right people buy on emotion for logical reasons They make decisions on emotions for logical reasons. So the better we are aware of what emotions are involved in the business decision, whether it's our truth consciousness, ego consciousness, or whatever, the more accurate we're going to be about the pragmatic decision that we're making.
0: All right, friends. Thank you for listening to The Ziegler Show. I trust you're gaining great insight from my guest, David Meltzer. Coming up next, I read off a handful of comments that reference having faith and how that works amongst making decisions. And David, of course, addresses those expertly and deftly. We'll dive right back in after the shout out to our wonderful show sponsors. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Yahoo Finance dot com. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to dot com. Use promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash Kevin. Here's one that is almost in line with that as far as goals or direction, but Brian gross. He says an eight As long as I have my three F's in life, faith, family, and friends, uh, Dan Moyle says eight faith and understanding in the grand scheme of things, even important decisions are, but dust in the wind. Uh, Joe Vaughn says experience, confidence, and others influences all play a big role in making a good decision. But with all that being said, leaning on God, having patience and being confident in his, uh, capital H, his plan has always led me to make the best decisions for me and my family, uh, all in all, it's of Seven, and, and actually, I could go on. And obviously, these were listed under the aspect of faith. So we just talked about goals. Okay, talk to us.
1: I love it because okay. faith is uh, misinterpreted because of the religious context in which it's used so many, so much of the time. I actually use faith in in a universal in business context. Uh, faith is the aggregate of what we think, say, do, believe, and the unconscious competencies of our personality traits our characteristics, our obsessions, our addictions, and the energy that we have, confidence or whatever emotions are in play. Of course, faith is going to be the main determinant if you realize faith is the aggregate of all these things, right? So and if you go ahead and call His, capital H, God, if God is what you have faith in, the all-knowing, the all-being, and the all-everything, however you define it, I tell everyone, you better make your decision based upon faith what you think they do believe and those unconscious competencies. Cause if you aggregate all of those statistically, you're going to make really good decisions. And I think it's interesting. If you look down all the people that make decisions on faith, they might not be aware of what faith is they, they, or not, but they're, they're all sevens, eights, nines. They're, they're all higher. People that have faith have the perception and that's what they believe.
0: Okay. Well on that, and, and I'll get personal with this. Well, you know what? Let me, let me read one. And then, then I'll dig into it. Evan Herman here. He says, well, I do tend to make good decisions. It's a long process for me, almost too long. Um, I ask for advice from from many different people, which tends to make me look incapable at times. I've actually been working on learning how to make decisions quicker with less input from others. I don't have a lot of confidence, even though I tend to make good decisions. I think it's because I've made a lot of poor decisions in the past. Boom. That was my point there because I would say that I am pretty quick on decisions. Overall, I do have faith. I have confidence that even if it's not the best decision, we'll work it out. That said, I do know that I do have the power to make a bad decision, to make myself suffer, to make others suffer. So it's... Coming back to poor decisions, I think there's so many people that can hear a lot of this. They should be confident. They should have faith. They should know it's going to, you know, things will work out anyways, even from a faith-based standpoint, you know, are they going to be bereft of God if they make a poor decisions? Well, that that doesn't line up, but back that we still can make a poor decision and there's consequences from that. That's real and true. So again, for the people who are hearing this, but then going, yeah, but I, I still, when it comes to that crux moment, I can make a bad decision. That's terrifying.
1: Yeah, until you realize that first thing that we talked about, that life is about lessons and the lessons are going to keep on coming until we learn them. So in my perspective, and one I hope to share and empower others with, is that every decision you make is a great decision if you learn from it. Mm. I know this might be optimal, it might be too optimistic, it might be too theoretical, utopic, and woo-woo for people to realize, but I truly believe the reason that I've been able to increase the value of my decisions, that I'm able to manifest through my decisions what I want rapidly and accurately, while I'm able to empower others and live this extraordinary existence, is because I've shifted my perspective to know that every decision that I've made, regardless of the assumptions, the process, as long as I learn a lesson, that that mistake turns into a miracle, that I have the power to live with miracles if I have the power of perception to learn the lessons.
0: Okay. We did talk about that in the first one. And I think the line that I remember writing down was if something that you said, I'll paraphrase something effective. If you're, if you find yourself you know, consistently having that lesson again, it's because you have not learned yet. Uh, and that was a power. That was, That was almost a headline statement right there. <laughs> Um, here's one for the married folks, Laura Golding. She says, I would say it's about a seven. I used to be lower. Usually I have a preferred outcome uh, for the decision, but I always discuss the important topics with my husband first, several day discussion or longer, depending on what it is and how far out the solution is due. We never want to make hasty decisions. The times we have, there's usually a long way back to the road we were on before. Here's another one from Dan Miller happens to be my dad. Uh, He said, as you know, mom and I have a two-week process for making any decision, and I'm pretty much a 10 in terms of confidence, in part because rarely would I think there's only one perfect choice. I could make an alternative decision and be totally confident. Life would be great with that as well. Obviously, we have the seeking counsel. Um, They're talking about spouses here specifically. Well, just talk about that. Let's just talk about spouses let's just stay on the marriage tangent talk to me about that number
1: one they, none of them qualified big decisions right so I'm sure, sure they mean, they're not asking hey you know should I go pick up a lettuce right. you know right. <laughs> people are making decisions right? but people are very literal so I think it I think one thing is where's the line of how big a decision should be a cooperative decision and it's true whether you're in a marriage a business partnership uh, there has to be some sort of agreement. Of that, you know, anything above this amount of money, for example, we need to share in the discussion, right? I don't need to call my wife and ask her, hey, can I buy a Happy Meal? Because I want to have it, you know, for lunch. But, you know, if I'm going to go buy a property, (laughs) if I'm going to make an investment, you know, where's that threshold? So we have a mutual agreement in our social contract of marriage or our business contract of, I'm not going to spend this until we discuss it. Um, And I think, in any partnership, intimate or not, that, that's a real big discernment of what the size of the decision is. Because yeah. the other side is, uh, whether it's personal or as a group or as you know partners, I see decision fatigue as a huge problem, right? People, they want to talk about things to death, and it is exhausting. And we do that all the time. We create too many decisions, too much analysis, and we get exhausted, and then we can't make the critical decisions or the bigger decisions, So I think it's really important to have autonomy, but also to have a threshold where we need to have discussions to get alignment, take action and prepare for adjustment in all of our group and partnership decisions.
0: Yeah, I, I like that, David. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I, to be candid, uh, my wife and I are fairly similar, uh, very opinionated. We kind of want to do what we want to do. And we have, like you said, kind of come up with that list. What are the things that we need to, you know, big, big purchases are a financial risk thing in business, uh, parenting travel. If one of us is going to be gone, uh, if it's a big you know, career or, or business move, uh, something like that, we'll talk about that. But we do a lot of, there's some point in our marriage where we talk, she brought it up about deferring. If it's an area. I mean, work, but the, the, this, this, we have multiple businesses that I run. She's going to defer to me in that. Not that she's just going to say, you know, carte blanche, whatever. Uh, whereas there's some aspects in our life where I'm, I'm going to defer to her. And in that, yeah, do, not doing decision fatigue. Um, we both want to make this even, even what these folks shared, man, I'm pretty impatient. It's hard to it's two weeks on making a decision, yeah. <laughs> but, but to each his own, I guess, whatever. Yeah. I get, but I like that Body you said parents,
1: that. It's circumstantial by the size, right? For example, yeah. I, I look for three years for a beach home, right? Mm-hmm. right we were discussing yeah. my home in San Diego and, we went through an entire process of discussions, looking qualification together yeah. so we can make a major decision. Uh, but it took us three years to make that one decision because we knew the purpose we shared in, in why we wanted it, what we wanted, et cetera. And it was a longer term decision where most of the decisions we make, you know, including is, you know, it, it okay for my kid to go out to, you know, the, the, uh, music festival and can she drive? Those those are critical decisions, but they have to be made quickly. And if I'm traveling, do we have an agreement on, okay, that's, I'm comfortable you making that decision every time uh, and being accountable for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, here's one you'll appreciate as talking about business owners, Terry Johnson, he, he, I know who he is. He's a business owner. I think he's in Australia. He says, I'm getting better at it. One of my life rules is to be decisive. Nothing, nothing worse than being wishy washy. It's not good for my staff, Or me, Uh, I think about it, I weigh it, I feel my gut instinct, and then I make a call and stick to it. Michael Jordan once said that uh, once he made a decision, he never thought about it again. Um, uh, In regards to being, let's go back to leadership. So this guy is an employer, and yeah, now you've got more on the line now that you're making decisions that directly affect your staff, uh, the people that you work with. And also them, you know, just your example of being decisive as well comes into play. So a weighty area to be in.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because it involves decision fatigue, but it also involves lessons. So uh, once you make a decision, there is adjustment that's that's necessary. So I don't very rarely do I disagree with, but I don't agree with Michael Jordan. Uh, when I make a decision, I'm assessing yes. uh, that decision. Now, what I think he meant to, to say is, you know, I don't regret any decision that I've made. Like, he doesn't have an emotional disappointment. Like, he sticks, even though he adjusts and he makes, you know, progress and he learns the lessons, he doesn't regret, that. you know, he doesn't stumble on the roadblocks behind him. And I think that's the critical point that Michael Jordan's trying to make, is don't stumble on the roadblocks behind you, but learn and assess and adjust according to you know the situation of where that decision was made, how it was made, and what a better decision might or would be, or for next time. But definitely, you have to assess and adjust. Uh, but definitely, on the other side, don't beat yourself up. Just learn the lesson and make that mistake a miracle.
0: Man, I like that, and I, and I agree because we're going to make a decision on the best that we know how to at that moment. So to go back and. Uh, condemn ourselves if it's not perfect but yeah man assessing I, I, and I did think about that when I read it and I you know who, who wants to let's let's assume that there was a little more to the story with Michael Jordan's statement there because my gosh yeah assessing I mean I know I, you know about enough about him just like any pro athlete that's the world that you're into such a big degree that they are constantly assessing I mean, that's, that's what you do you play the game you go out in the field you come back you watch the tape and you see how you can do better and in business my gosh I mean is there a We don't constantly assess. I mean, you got a book that's coming out right now being launched. So I bet there's plenty of you looking at it and assessing the success of it.
1: It's so much fun, too. In fact, when I did the audio side of the book, you know, with McGraw Hill, they uh, required me to do my own audio book. It was funny while I was reading it because I would have made adjustments because we grow and accelerate. I read my own book and I'm like, ah, you know what? I could have said that better. I don't hundred percent agree with myself anymore mm-hmm. because I'm growing and accelerating. And although people will agree with uh, the point made, I'm gone past it and I've assessed it and made adjustments. Uh, and I would look back and say, I have no regrets for saying it, but I've learned from it and now I've moved on.
0: Well, here's a uh, speaking of sports, Alan Stein Jr. I don't know if you know Alan. Do, you? I do. basketball trainer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he wrote a, a book, and I interviewed him. He was in show for folks who hadn't heard it. Uh, six fifty five, six fifty seven, and his book is Raise Your Game. Um, he says, I do my best to initially remove emotion and personal bias slash perspective, uh, which obviously is hard to do completely. I weigh the pros and cons. I get feedback from my inner circle and my mentors. And I ask what's the best that can happen from this. And what's the worst that, that can happen from this. I take inventory over who else this decision will affect my kids, my colleagues, Uh, And then I reflect and ask my gut intuition. I I like the structure he's put around there. I have done a lot of, especially when others are involved, you know, business partner, or whatever, of what is the worst that can happen from this decision? I mean, I'm an optimist, I'm not a pessimist, but I do like getting that one out on the table. And I think sometimes I find that with my kids as a dad, you know, where they'll be struggling. I said, what's what, and I come, to, I'll come to that. What is the worst that can happen? Because in their mind it gets so exaggerated. And I think that's true for all of us.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, making, Decisions with confidence and comfortability is so important. And one of the mechanisms to do that is to take the worst case scenario. Even one of the best decisions of my life was not to be an oil and gas litigator, but to go sell legal research online. I was a millionaire nine months out of law school. It set my life on a trajectory. I purposely remember saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? And the reason I chose one or the other, part of it was one, I could go back and do it any time. So if I took the internet job and I failed, I could always go back and be a litigator. In fact, I prepared for the mitigation before I started the sales job. Now, if I took the the uh, sale uh, took the law job, I probably couldn't have gone back and got it into the internet uh, at the time and place and, and circumstance, and I wouldn't have done very well. So I think it's really important to assess the high and the low, because sometimes you actually can make a decision, but already hedge it by saying, hey, I can make this decision, but I can go back and make the other decision anyway. And so you end up making the right decision by mitigating the risk. And I think that's what I did in my internet career. I just simply mitigated the risk, knowing that I could go back to one job, but not the other.
0: Well, I like calculated risk. I mean, I've I've grown much more. I talked to go back to maturity. That's been one for me instead of just caution to the wind. Uh, Jennifer here, she says a nine and a half. I have a brain that makes decisions fast, fast and feel I'll learn along the way or change if it's wrong. I also think my confidence stems from knowing God family and friends are always there for me. If my decision was not smart, I think if I didn't have that in the back of my mind, I wouldn't be as confident. And when she said that I had to think, you know, I am so grateful for my network of friends, families, close relationships, but I hadn't thought about it that tangibly. How much does that have to play into, especially those big decisions, big business decisions, big finance, big business trajectory decisions. I, as I thought about it, David, I thought, I think it's, I think it's a lot more than I've really given credit to, because if I didn't have those to feel and kind of, now we're kind of back to the faith aspect too to feel like you are totally alone, which I don't feel I am spiritually. And I know I'm not as far as actual humanity for there's somebody listening. There's some buddies, lots of them listening right now who, who aren't solid there. And they're hearing this message and realize and feeling that feeling that that, that aloneness, that segregation of themselves, that's a hard place to be in, to make to to feel confident making decisions. It's gotta be.
1: It's amazing because I think that is a crucial point and I can see why. And I've lived it myself because I took extraordinary risks, made extraordinarily bad assumptions, which led to bad decisions, uh, which led me to lose a tremendous amount of money and go bankrupt. Uh, But I think in the back of my mind, at least in my faith, that no matter what I did, I always knew my mom would be there for me. I always knew Lee Steinberg and Warren Moon would be there for me. I always knew that my wife would be there for me. And in the end, when I screwed it all up, I went down that line, you know, and my wife was there for me. Lee and Warren were there for me and my mom was there for me. And therefore, I had the ability to take these huge risks because in the end, I had nothing to lose because that which was most important to me, my mom, my wife, my best friends, Warren and Lee, they were always there for me. And uh, I had confidence and faith in that uh, and faith in myself that no matter what had happened, that I would make and learn the lessons, turn every mistake into a miracle and be stronger and better from it. And I hear a lot of that in the answers that you received. A lot of people know that they're learning lessons. They're getting stronger. So they don't have as much fear and we're not putting faith in the wrong things. You know, the the worst person I see, is like a gambler that puts faith in the losing and they get more losing. It's the guys who believe they're going to win that win. Mm -hmm. I always say you put faith in what you want. You're going to get what you want. If you put faith in what you don't want, you are going to get what you don't want.
0: You, You know, it's interesting as you talked about Lee and Warren, um, as now and because they, they're they're more than friends, they're they business partners as well. Sure. I'm curious your thoughts on that because my I have spent the majority of my business career uh, on my own, or you know as as the leader. It's been the past almost five years now that I have had uh, specific partners, and on one hand, I initially struggled with not quite as much autonomy. As I've gone on, I've learned how great it is for me. I need I need that tether. I need that accountability. And at this point, not the not the you know, never say never, I can't imagine I, I like having a partner, bottom line. What tell me your experience?
1: So wonderful because I grew up with a dad who told me there's three rules to having a partner. Number one, never have a partner. Two, if you're gonna have a partner, make sure they have more money than you. And three, if you don't listen to one or two, go back to number one. Wow. Um I, I believe that partners, especially in life, uh, which is my spouse, is the most important thing that I can have. But you have to find somebody whose strengths are your weaknesses. And, you know, I always say every weakness has a strength put into the same or different position. Uh, so I truly have found, you know, other than my mom who has unconditional love for me so it doesn't matter that you know we're not congruent in our strengths and weaknesses but moreover the two critical partners, business and life, my life partner, my wife, her strengths are definitely my weakness and my business partners uh, once again it's the same thing. Uh, you know Warren has a majesty of calmness you know I have an emotional roller coaster I have extreme pragmatic we're both you know together more than separate. And I think that's the most important thing. Uh, even though my dad has a point in lessons, the other great piece of advice, just because I have the time to teach people, my dad gave me, I love this one. If you don't like somebody, wish upon them employees in overhead. Uh, they'll think you're giving them a comp- uh, compliment, but you're cursing them. So just be like, I hope you have the biggest office you can afford <laughs> and as many people working for you as you want. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, they're like, thank you, thank you. But it's probably someone you don't like and you just curse them. <laughs>
0: Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll ruminate on that one. Well, ah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to end on one here. This is from uh, James Ryan Dobson. If that name sounds familiar. Yes. He is the son of James Dobson, a focus on the family. Uh, and, and he says a 10, he says, I would rather make a decision than sit on the sideline too long. Life is mostly failures pushing forward through failures leads to success. And I just thought that was worth pondering that statement as well. Life is mostly failures. Okay. You got a thumbs up. Tell me about
1: it. Because I think that's why I keep telling you, no matter where you go in my life, I tell you I was a nine and that's because I have the perspective that life's about lessons, right? And he can call them failures. I don't see, I see them as setups, not setbacks. Uh, But you ask me 10 years from now, I'll tell you I'm a nine. And I think the only difference between me and him is that I want to have potential. I never want to, it it was like my grandfather used to say, well, good thing you got that one B because you still can improve. I've always manifested that I'm, I'm, I want to live a life that I'm in pursuit of my potential. I don't want to be at a 10. I always want to be at a nine. And I think I'll stay at a nine for my decision-making as long as I have the perspective that every decision I make is a lesson. And the more that I learn, the better off I'll be.
0: I, I love that. I mean, I know it's pithy with, there's so much talk about failures these days, but yeah, I'm i uh, I've got another business launch right now. And it's almost an exciting thing as we go and pull a little trigger, pull a little trigger and say that didn't work. That didn't work. Okay. That piece did now, now and start compiling them and we'll finally figure out what's going to work. Yeah. I don't look at them as failures as well, but you know, ah, that didn't work. And what can we learn? So lessons, that's what we'll take from this. Man, thank you again for coming back the second time and uh, doing these. I I love these live coaching sessions. Everybody, you just got a priceless amount of life coaching from David Meltzer. David, thank you.
1: Thank you. Wonderful show. And I love the way that you, in context, can pick up all that data and integrate it into the show. I give you a ton of interviews and I'll come on anytime you want to do this. So thank you.
0: Deal. I'll take you up on it, David.
1: Awesome. Have fun.
0: There you go, folks, expert guidance and great heart from David Meltzer. Don't miss my main conversation with David in show 699, then our audit of his habits in show 701 and check out his book, game time, decision-making high scoring business strategies from the biggest names in sports, wherever you shop for books. Well, coming up next in show 705, we talk about what makes you who, where, and what you are, your habits. And we'll open your eyes to some successful habits by auditing the habits of computer science professor Cal Newport, one of the more influential personalities of today's influencers. Some of what you'll hear is Cal is a follower of Michael Pollan and Mark Sisson in primal eating and exercising. He's big into cognitive fitness and the reality that the brain is a muscle that needs to be worked out consistently. He's a fan of multiple streams of income and literally states he never trusts one stream of income. His best career advice he borrowed from Steve Martin. You'll enjoy hearing that. He seeks high quality leisure and plays guitar in some bands. All in all, it's just not the picture I think you'd have of a professor of computer science at an Ivy League school. We'll dive in uh with Cal and open your eyes to some great habits you can adopt. Well, till then folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.